Welcome to Kids Considered, a podcast from UC Davis Children's Hospital, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. So, Dean, I have to tell you that it feels like every day in the office, I'm seeing a young athlete with some kind of knee pain or foot pain. And after a while, all of the same types of injuries keep coming up again and again. Yeah, that's right, because these injuries are common and they're common for youth who are playing sports. So they're definitely worth reviewing and they really fit into several different categories. Right. And although we know concussions are common sports injuries as well, we've actually already done an entire podcast covering this topic. And so you can download that on our website. Today, we're going to focus our time talking about musculoskeletal injuries. Mm -hmm. So we'll focus our discussion on injuries of the bone, muscle, tendons, and ligaments. And because this is a very big topic, we're going to divide it up into a two-parter like we've been doing for some of our episodes. So we're going to talk about lower extremity injuries, and upper extremity injuries. And we'll be highlighting some examples of injuries that can occur during sports, some common symptoms, and the types of athletics that are typically associated with these injuries, and what the treatment options and recovery processes are like. We previously did a podcast on the benefit of sports participation. It was a really long time ago, right, Mm -hmm. Dean? It was like two years ago, I feel like. So just to highlight some of those facts that we learned in that episode, we know that sports participation is extremely common. So approximately 60 million youth aged 6 to 18 years will be involved in some form of athletics, and approximately 44 million youth are involved in more than one sport. We know that sports participation has really amazing benefits for long-term cardiovascular health, social skills. But, of course, with increased sports participation comes increased risk for injuries. (laughs) Yeah. So before we dive into the specific injuries, how common are these sports injuries? Yeah. So there's an average of 2.6 million emergency room visits for sports-related injuries per year. And this does not include visits to the primary care office, which anecdotally for me seems like at least two or three a day. Um, So they're extremely common. Yeah, that is really common. So, Dr. Lena, before we get into the specifics, can we go back to medical school for an anatomy review? Because it (laughs) seems pretty common to mix up tendons and ligaments. (laughs) Yes, it is. I always mix those up. So, it's important to remember that tendons connect muscle to bone, and ligaments are really tough, non-stretchable fibers that connect bone to bone. Obviously, there are many, many bones in the upper and lower extremities that we will try to review as we talk about each specific topic. And then we need to compare strains and sprains. So a strain occurs when a muscle or tendon is torn or stretched, whereas a sprain is an injury to a ligament. Right. That's always been confusing for me. Mm -hmm. I feel like I always have to remember ankle sprain and then go from there. Yeah, that's the easiest way to remember it. (laughs) Okay, so we're also going to be discussing acute injuries, and that means an injury that occurred in the moment, like a broken bone or an ankle sprain. Mm -hmm. And we're also going to talk about overuse injuries, and these make up approximately half of all sports medicine injuries, so they're really important to talk about. An overuse injury is damage to bone, muscle, ligament, or tendon that's caused by repetitive stress without allowing time for the body to heal. 
So an overuse injury usually presents slowly over time and in stages. So initially, it's just pain after the activity, and then it progresses to pain during the sports activity, but it doesn't restrict performance until the next stage where it's pain during the sport that does affect performance. And finally, even afterwards, it's a chronic persistent pain. Right. So we really want to catch these early, like in the first stage to not let them progress. And what makes pediatric athletes so unique and more vulnerable to injury is that their bones have open growth plates. Yeah. And we need those open growth plates because these are areas of tissue near the end of bones. And that allows for continued growth because children are growing and developing. And you can see these the next time your kid gets an x-ray, ask your doctor to point these out to you. Yeah, to an untrained eye, you are like, what the heck is going on there? Is that a break or something? Because it looks different on the x-ray than the rest of the bone. But those are totally normal in pediatrics and, in fact, necessary to allow them to continue to grow. Right. But unfortunately, um, they do provide an area of weakness within a pediatric bone and therefore are at increased risk for injury. So throughout our discussion, we're going to try to provide some evidence-based recommendations on how to decrease the risk of both acute injuries as well as overuse sports injuries. So stay tuned. Okay, so why don't we start with the upper body by reviewing the upper extremity, the arm. Let's do it. Let's start with the, I'm going to think head, shoulders, knees, and toes. So shoulder, (laughs) maybe? Yeah, the shoulder. So (laughs) shoulder dislocation is the most commonly dislocated joint in adolescence. And the shoulder dislocation is complete displacement of the upper arm bone, which is the humerus, from the shoulder socket. And this is not a humorous thing when it occurs to you. (laughs) No. There's a lot of humorous, you know, jokes that we could do for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can um, also see something called a shoulder subluxation. And this actually happened to me when I was training to become a lifeguard. And I was like pulling up on one of those like buoys from underneath uh-huh. the water. And I felt it pop out and pop back in. Oh, my um, gosh. So, uh, yeah. And it was not fun. So a shoulder subluxation arises from instability of the shoulder girdle, um, which basically causes the upper arm bone, the humerus, to slide partially out of the socket and then spontaneously back into place. It occurs a lot more frequently in female athletes. Um, I definitely wouldn't consider myself an athlete, but I was doing something athletic at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas the dislocation that you mentioned, where it comes completely out of the shoulder girdle, is more common in males. Mm -hmm. Well, lifeguarding is pretty athletic, right? I mean, sitting in a chair and hoping nothing bad happens is, I wouldn't <laughs> right. call athletic, but the process to get there with the swim tests and stuff is definitely athletic. So a shoulder dislocation occurs typically when a force is applied to the arm when it's held in abduction, meaning away from the body, and external rotation, so the hand is moving away from the body. And then this usually causes it to lo- dislocate anteriorly towards the front of the body. Right. Shoulder dislocations can occur in many different sports. So contact sports like football, lacrosse, or rugby are definitely common. But so are sports where a player may fall onto the upper extremity when they're traveling at high speed. So like think running really fast in soccer or things like skiing and snowboarding. And it can also occur from other things like, you know, when you're hanging on the arm. So things like gymnastics or rock climbing. 
So after a dislocation occurs, there's going to be immediate severe pain and then swelling and an inability to move the joint. You just can't move it because it's out of, out of the, the socket. So if you just look at the child, their shoulders will likely be um, asymmetric or lopsided. And many doctors will just look at it and say, oh, that's a dislocation. But if they're unsure, then they can confirm this with an x-ray. Initial treatment for a shoulder dislocation is to get the arm back into the correct place. It's called a relocation. It's important to note that this should only be done by a trained professional. So you may have to go to the emergency room or consult an orthopedist um, because you don't want to damage that area more than it's already been damaged. And once the shoulder has been relocated, it should be immobilized in a sling. But unfortunately, once this occurs, there's a 65 to 75% chance of recurrence in people younger than 20 years old. So sometimes surgery is needed to prevent those recurrences. Mm -hmm. While every individual is different, after a shoulder dislocation is reduced and placed in the sling that Dr. Dean mentioned, the athlete needs to rest from their sport for at least six weeks. If surgery is needed, then they're going to likely need to abstain from play altogether for likely nine to 12 months um, to best allow that area to completely heal and give you a chance to go back to playing at your full potential afterwards. Rehab with physical therapy is recommended after the initial swelling has resolved. Okay, now can we talk about baseball? Uh, sure. What's your What's your favorite team? I mean, we are big Giants fans and mm-hmm. go to the River Cats game, and I love to sit in the sun with a beer, a hot <laughs> dog. Don't actually watch any of the game, but I do enjoy the process. Yeah, it's a slow game, but it's <laughs> it's relaxing to just be in that atmosphere. And I've always followed the San Francisco Giants too, growing up nearby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, but I was thinking more about injuries that are typically associated with baseball. Um, Yes. Yeah. So about a third of baseball pitchers will experience shoulder or elbow pain at some point during their participation. And these would be considered overuse injuries. Right. Absolutely. So while we're talking about the shoulder, we just went through the shoulder. Let's talk about little league shoulder, which is also known as proximal humeral pain. Yeah. And again, the humerus is your upper arm bone and the proximal humerus is closest to the shoulder area. Um, But again, there's nothing humorous about shoulder pain. And we should point out that they are humorous and humorous are spelled differently. (laughs) Very true. The most common age for Little League shoulder is between around 11 and 16 years old. And it occurs due to stress placed on the shoulder from the action of throwing a baseball. And a physical examination will show pain at the upper arm close to the shoulder decreased shoulder range of motion as compared to the opposite shoulder, and pain with resisted external rotation. X-rays, if obtained, may show widening of the growth plate. Little League elbow, also known as medial epicondyle apophysitis. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to... Apophysitis. 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 (laughs) I don't say that word too often. Just little league elbow is easier. Uh-huh. Medial epicondyle apophysitis is caused by repetitive pulling forces on the growth plate of the medial epicondyle of the elbow. And this is usually during the late cocking phase to the acceleration phase of throwing the pitch. And it's most commonly seen in 8 to 15 year olds. 
I wish I could tell you that we knew what the late cocking phase and the acceleration phase actually is. <laughs> I mean, I can sort of think about it like you cock your arm back and you exactly you throw. Yeah, yes. Yeah. But, you know, check in with your coach if you have questions about this. <laughs> the medial epicondyle is that bony prominence you can feel on your elbow. It's on the pinky side, so more close to the body when you're your arm is facing out with your thumb out. Um, an athlete may experience aching or sharp pain and swelling on the inside of the elbow. And like all overuse injuries, it may initially just occur with pitching and then progress to constant pain. Management for both little league elbow and shoulder includes a significant period of rest, usually six weeks to three months, as well as physical therapy. And so this may be really disappointing to the young athlete, especially depending when it occurs during the season. Absolutely. I usually just say, you know, like we're taking this time to really get you to heal so we can get you back into your sport. Like our our goal is not to say you can't do this forever, but like once it becomes a chronic problem, they get to that stage four or five where it's hurting all the time, then that's really going to limit their their future potential in the sport. Right. So you really have to talk to them about that. And there's always next season. Mm-hmm. Always next season. So really importantly for these overuse injuries is preventing them from occurring in the first place. Um, so recommendations pre- for preventing pitching injuries in youth baseball um, including include a few different things. There's some pretty strict guidelines. And one of the first is that to ensure they're using proper technique during that caulking and acceleration phase of throwing. So that would be making sure you have a really good pitching coach. Exactly, yeah. There's been several retrospective studies of professional baseball players that have demonstrated that those players who specialized in solely baseball prior to high school have higher rates of injury. And because of this, it's recommended that children do not specialize in just a single sport until at least high school and preferably college. And we want to make sure that all youth baseball players abide by pitch counts. And so this changes depending on the age of the player in addition to how many days they've been practicing in a row or how many games they've had in a row. And the USA Baseball and the MLB have teamed up to help players reduce the number of arm injuries. And so they have provided a website with really a comprehensive resource for safe pitching practices and pitch counts for age. Um, It's called Pitch Smart, and we have provided that link on our website. Okay, so now we know how to protect our shoulder and elbow, so let's move down to the wrist. Yes, so in terms of acute injuries, not cute injuries, but (laughs) acute injuries, wrist fractures are definitely the most common fracture in kids. And that's because kids fall, and they can occur in any sports, and it's typically with the FOUCHE injury, (laughs) that's F-O-O-S-H. Which stands for falling on outstretched hand. And typically when this occurs, there's going to be pain at the site of the fracture, swelling, and sometimes deformity of the wrist. And if you have concerns for a wrist fracture, then see your pediatrician for an examination and an x-ray is the best next step. If there is a break, depending on the type, most kids do very well with a short time in a cast, like four to six weeks. And sometimes they can even get away with just a splint. Mm -hmm. Of course, this all depends on the type of fracture, how complex it is, if it involves the growth plate, lots and lots of different things. So your pediatrician may possibly reach out to an orthopedic surgeon or a sports medicine doctor to help guide the specific treatment for your child. 
In addition to fractures, an overuse injury that can be seen in the wrist is commonly referred to as gymnast wrist or distal radial epiphysitis. I've given you all the hard hard words today. (laughs) I know. Well, so far I'm one out of two. Okay. (laughs) So this occurs from the compressive forces that occur on the growth plates of the wrist during gymnastics. From all of those handsprings and cartwheels and amazing things that gymnasts can do that I have to admit, I have never been able to do a cartwheel. Can you do a cartwheel, Dr. I don't think I even tried. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was kind of like a sad thing for me growing up because like, you know, little girls, they're like cartwheeling across the park. And I was always like standing there like, yeah, this that doesn't work for me. <laughs> but up to 40% of young gymnasts will experience gymnast wrists, and it's most commonly seen in females between the ages of 10 and 14 years old. Gymnast wrist presents with pain at the thumb side of the wrist. Mm-hmm. And treatment, like for most of these overuse injuries, is resting from the offending activity and physical therapy. So we've made our way all the way from the shoulder to the hand. Mm-hmm. And we know finger injuries are very common. So these can occur from a direct blow to the finger, forcing the finger past its usual range of motion. So like think in like catching a football or a ball where you like, you know, you get that jammed finger that goes back. Sometimes it can be really difficult to tell if it's just a jammed finger or something more serious like a broken finger. If you have concern for a possible fracture or the finger is bent in an unusual way, um, sometimes this is referred to as mallet finger, then go ahead and, and see your doctor. If you think it may just be a jam, there's no big deformities, it's not like so, so painful, and there's little to no swelling, minimal tenderness, kind of normal appearance, and you have full range of motion of the finger, then you can do something called buddy taping the finger, which means you tape the injured finger to an adjacent finger until it no longer hurts. Um, It just prevents you from moving it around. And that's usually around one to two weeks. When the injury is no longer painful and tender, then the athlete may do progressive resistance exercises to restore the full range of motion. So these resistance exercises can be done by making a fist, by squeezing a stress ball, or trying to crumple up a small dish rag or towel. So I think we've covered the main sports injuries of the upper extremity. Should we review some of our main talking points before we dive into part two in a couple weeks talking about lower extremity injuries and prevention strategies? Yeah, let's do that. So youth sports are common with approximately 60 million children participating in sports. Athletic injuries can be acute, meaning they occur in a single moment, or overuse injuries, which develop by repetitive trauma over time. We reviewed the most common injuries of the upper extremities. Right from shoulder dislocations and subluxations to baseball injuries like little league shoulder and little league elbow. As well as how to prevent baseball overuse injuries. And we wrapped up our discussion by talking about wrist fractures, gymnast wrists, and finger injuries. While treatment for each of these injuries differs, most involve a period of rest from the offending sport and then physical therapy to regain strength and function. We would like to thank Dr. Nick Hatimaya, family medicine and sports medicine physician at UCSF, as well as Dr. Nicole Friel, orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist with Shriners Children's Hospital of Northern California, for reviewing today's episode, although Dr. Dean and I take full responsibility for any errors or misinformation. And that reminds me of a joke. (laughs) 
<laughs> is it about a humorist? <laughs> no, I was going to talk more baseball. <laughs> okay, let's hear it. Where do catchers sit at lunch? I don't know. Behind the plate. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I would think there would be a better one, but I get it. It's it's nice. It's good. There's it's, a lot of dirty sports jokes. It's, it's family jokes. friendly. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. 